day and, and uh, gather some additional information. We are putting together all the different committees. This sheet should be in your bulletin. There's uh, a lot of needs as the program continues to expand. You remember last year, uh, Mac really came and did his cradle to the cross, and, and we supported uh, it from really behind the scenes, but now he is uh, organized bringing us out in front of the, the camera. So we'll be playing many roles in this, and it's going to take a lot more more work and more hands. So if you'll look at these committees and you'll see maybe where you might fit and plug in and check that off and let us know. We'll have committees, we'll have committee chairs, and there's so much going on between now, we're almost at September, and we launch our first performance uh, December 15th. We added one this year, so there'll be four. One on the 15th, which is Friday night, two on Saturday, a matinee, and then an evening, and then one on Sunday, a matinee. So we're really excited about what God's doing. And remember, the singular purpose for the church of Jesus Christ, regardless of what you do, and that purpose is rooted in the Great Commission, and that is to make disciples. Last year, we had seven uh, brand new decisions in, in our very first year, seven, and we had 20-plus renewed commitments. So we're just thrilled that we have the opportunity to do this so early as a church, five years old, and now this year, building on it and expanding it. So stay if you can. Hopefully, uh, you can at at, uh, right after the service. And now open your Bibles, please, to the gospel according to the good doctor, Luke. Luke 1, 39 to 56 will be the passage. This is our third sermon. We're going slow. It's going to take a little bit of time to work through the first chapter. This is foundational. Luke has laid a powerful foundation for us to understand the truths of the gospel in these two birth narratives. It is really striking how similar the narratives are and what we are to glean from that from the pen of of Luke. So this, the title is Mary Visits Elizabeth. We're going to take a look at what God wants us to understand from this passage. Remember three things when you sit under the preaching of the word. What does the text say? What does the text mean? And what does the text require of me? What do we do with it when we walk out of here? So that's what we'll look at this morning. These are two miracle mothers, two miracle moms. We'll take a look and and see what what God is up to. Obviously, this is fulfillment of prophecy, promises that were made in the Old Testament. But this is powerful to see how Luke, without Luke's gospel, uh, we wouldn't have these birth narratives, which are so rich in strengthening our understanding and our faith in the gospel. Okay, Luke 1, 39 to 56, hear now the word of God. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. Remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Let's pray. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. It is only the power of the word of God applied by the Spirit of God that conforms us into the image and likeness of the Son of God. Father, for those who are not saved, make it a word of salvation. 
For those in the midst of storm winds, a word of comfort. For those who are tired and weary, a word of rest. Father, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Three things you want to take a look at under the heading. And we've added uh, two words. Mary visits Elizabeth. And we use the the phrase with haste. She went hurriedly. And uh, we need to know why. So we're going to take a look at that. Mary visits Elizabeth with haste. Why? Three things we'll look at. Number one, she sought confirmation. She believed. There was no doubting in her faith. But she sought confirmation. Number two, she sought consolation. And finally, number three, she spoke inspiration. So one, she sought confirmation. Number two, she sought consolation. And finally, number three, she spoke inspiration. Let's go back to verse 36. We'll catch a little prompting of the the angel Gabriel. Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. It's important for the angel to kind of prompt Mary. Uh, Mary can't conceive. She's a virgin. Elizabeth can't conceive because of her age. So the angel seems to subtly prompt her to go and and check this out. Uh, You believe what I've told you, but this will strengthen your faith. So that's what we're going to take a look at under these three headings. Number one, the very first one, she sought confirmation. Luke 1, 39 to 40, let's head out into deep water. Let our nets down for a catch. Mary hurried. She went with haste to a town in the hill country of Judea. Elizabeth is in the south of Israel. Mary's in the north. Elizabeth is close to Jerusalem. And 75, 80 miles away, three days plus to journey. And Mary goes. We don't know who she goes with. It would be uncommon to go alone at 13, 12 or 13 years of age. But she goes, and she goes in a hurry. And she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. We pause for a moment on the greeting. That greeting doesn't mean much to us today. When you see someone maybe you haven't even seen for years, there's a greeting, a hello, how you're doing, maybe a fist bump or a high five, but that's about as far as it goes. Back in the ancient world, a greeting was a ceremony. It was a time of, of, of deep connecting at a heart level, and I want to show that to you with Moses. Just one example in the Old Testament, Moses and his father-in-law, Jethro. Let's take a look. The priest of Midian, take a look at Exodus 18, 7, and 8, and we'll get a better understanding of the greeting that was taking place between Mary and Elizabeth and why this is important in Mary seeking confirmation. Moses met with his father-in-law. He bowed down and he kissed him. They asked each other about their well-being and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done. So this was an extended amount of time. This was a a ceremonial greeting where they exchanged stories and they they caught back up with each other. And it would take quite a bit of time to walk through that. That's what's happening here with Mary and Elizabeth during this time of greeting. Okay, Now, in that moment of greeting, in that extended period, we see verses 41 and 44, which are instructive. 41 and 44, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 44, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. You would agree with me that when God speaks, which he does in his word, every word is important. But when God repeats himself, it's extra important. So here in these two passages, just separated by a few verses, we see the baby leaping. Now, we're not going to discuss the physiology of the leaping, if you will. We know that that's not supernatural, right? All of you mothers who have had children, you know about the movement of of the baby in in the womb. That was probably one of my greatest joys with our four children, that when it got to that time where there was movement, Kim would call me over often, or even if I was at at the center working, she would call me and and, uh, and describe it to me. But you'd put your hand there and the baby would be moving around. And it was always great for me. Sometimes it was uncomfortable for her. And sometimes I'd even try to incite the baby to move as speaking through the womb and, and, and get him to move around. Zach was very, very active. Made things very uncomfortable for Kim. I loved it. It was just awesome. And, but 
it, that's not this, that's not this, this, that this is not natural movement. This is supernatural. This is something I'm going to show you what it is. This is powerful. Mary's seeking confirmation. God gives Mary confirmation through the prophet in the womb. Six months old. Ready? Take a look at the Greek word for leaped. Skirtao is the Greek word for leaped. This baby leaps in the womb twice at the greeting. Do we have any precedent for this? Something going on in the womb? Prophecy? Sure we do. One other time. Old Testament. Go with me to Genesis 25, 22. You remember the story of Rebekah and Jacob and Esau? Sure you do. The babies jostled each other within her, Rebekah, and she inquired of the Lord. The Lord said, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within, and you will be separated, and the older will serve the younger. Let's touch on that one first. The older will serve the younger. How powerful is that statement in the Old Testament when generally the, the, the younger serves the older, but the, the older will serve the younger? How does that come to fulfillment in John and Jesus. Who's older, John or Jesus? John. John, is the, she's six months pregnant. Mary now is just conceived. So now we're going to see again the older who is here to serve the younger. And then this battle between the nations, you remember that Jacob, Jacob fathered Israel's descendants, and Esau, the Edomites. And there's real valuable insight that can be gained from this prophecy. We can't unpack it today. But real valuable insight can be gained in the present Palestinian and Israeli conflict from this prophecy. But the point that we're making here is there was prophecy that was taking place in the womb of Rebekah. Rebekah couldn't conceive. and God supernaturally conceives, right? And now we have these two children. And in the womb of Elizabeth, we have prophecy as well. How do we know that's taking place? Go to Luke 115. I'm not making any of this up, I promise you. All I have for you is the scripture. So go to 115, and then you have to ask the question. John will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is born. Why? Why? Fill him when he comes out. Fill his mother. His mother could use the filling, right? Wouldn't that be great? But why fill John in the womb? Because God had work for John to do in the womb. And six months into the pregnancy, John leaps and confirms to Mary that she is carrying the Messiah. It doesn't get any better. You can't make this stuff up. So here we have the Old Testament story of Rebecca, the prophecy in the womb, and we have the New Testament story of Elizabeth and the prophecy in her womb. We often ask the question to the kids when we're trying to trick them. We say, who's the greatest Old Testament prophet? And they try to run through all of the list of different prophets, and it's John. John is an Old Testament prophet, even though he shows up in the New. But I want to ask you another question. Who's the smallest prophet? John. How big is John at six months? I don't know. A foot? Some of you would know better. Doctors in here, how how big is he at six months? I don't know. But he's the smallest prophet in the history of the world. John's in the womb prophesying. He's leaping at the sound of the greeting. Why? He's in the presence. He's the forerunner of Messiah, and he's in the presence of the Messiah, and he leaps for joy in the womb. Confirmation for Mary. Luke 6, 27. We'll get to this later. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. What a great picture of what it means to be in the presence of our Lord. Moving on. Verse 43, the final point of confirmation for Mary. Elizabeth says, why am I so favored? That the mother of my Lord, okay, Lord refers to God 25 times in the first two chapters of Luke. I want you to know that. It refers only and exclusively to Lord. 25 times. So when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying Jesus is God. So Gabriel comes to Mary and and he tells her that now this this Savior, this promised Messiah, is going to be conceived in her womb supernaturally without any intervention or involvement of a man, that God will simply overshadow her. And Elizabeth confirms it by saying, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, Elizabeth, knew she needed a Savior. She knew that the child in her womb was the forerunner. She didn't know when the Savior would come. Remember, these two birth uh, narratives are separated by many miles. 
Elizabeth doesn't know what's happened to Mary, and Mary didn't know what happened to Elizabeth until the angel tells her. So now these two come together in the stories. I'm going to show you in a moment how beautifully the stories fit together. God teaches us through stories. And the parallel in these two are striking. We don't go to the Old Testament just to look for prophecy, promise, and fulfillment. We look at patterns. We look at parallels. We look at the story. It's one story to one world. One single word with one strand of truth. The promise of the Messiah was promised in the eternal council. So it's powerful for us to understand the confirmation. And know this. There was no doubt in Mary. But that tells us something. Your belief needs to be confirmed. So we should be what? Berean-like. We should be searching the scriptures and seeking godly counsel to do what? Confirm the promises that God has given to us. There was nothing wrong with any of that. The angel encourages her to go. You believe what I have told you, but go confirm it. Go see. She shows up, and what does she see with Mary? Six months pregnant. She goes, it, it's, God is now doing conception miracles. God has been silent for 400 years. There hasn't been a miracle in 450 years. And now God is doing conception miracles in the wombs of two women who could not conceive. One because she was too old, the other because she was a virgin. Confirmation? Mary gets it. Now, consolation. This is beautiful. Don't we all need consolation? Don't we? Encouragement, comfort for the journey, don't we? She certainly did. So let me, let me open the consolation. And, and, and belief does not exclude consolation. Belief does not exclude confirmation. Listen, how did we open the whole gospel account? What is Luke? Luke is not just a doctor. What is Luke? He's a historian. How does a historian gather information? He investigates. Yet you say Luke wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so what did he need to investigate? That's the whole point. Inspiration didn't keep him from gathering knowledge and information the way that we all gather knowledge and information. He wasn't laying in some hammock, swinging back and forth, waiting for God to just throw information into his mind. He went out and searched the truths that he heard. He investigated the truths. He looked into the truths. Inspiration didn't preclude that. So belief doesn't preclude confirmation and consolation. That's instruction for us. But here we have a great question in this consolation. Ready? This is a deep question. I want you to really think it. Who in the world would believe Mary's story? Isn't that a good question? Who... How, how will she find consolation if she goes to s- tell Joseph? What is he going to do? We know from the angel's visit to Joseph in Matthew, he didn't believe and he wanted to put her away by divorce. She also knows the law. You'll see in a moment how well she knows the law, how well she understands the Old Testament scriptures. She knows that in Deuteronomy 22, what was, what was the punishment for adultery? Stoning to death. Who's gonna, who in the world would believe Mary's story? I'll tell you who. Elizabeth and Zechariah, the only two people in the world who would believe her story. Why? Because God had done the same thing for them. What a beautiful picture of consolation. When you're looking for consolation, go to people who've already been through the mess that you're in the middle of. You know, here's the last last person you want to meet with when you're in the middle of a struggle. You, You meet with this person, right, and you sit down and you lay out all that you're going through. And you just pour your heart out, and here's their response. Oh, my. No, here's who I want to meet with after I've poured my heart out, my broken heart, and and the burden that I have been carrying crushed under the weight of, of, of suffering. I want to hear this response. Me, too. Me, too. I'm here, not just for you. I'm with you. That's what she needed. Only two people in the world would believe her. Elizabeth and Zacharias. Look at the story. I want you to see the story fit and mesh. Just, just a few points. Ready? They're greeting. They're speaking. So they're talking to each other. And Mary says, you know what happened? I think I do, but tell me. Gabriel showed up. He did? He did in me too. 
six months ago. He didn't come to me, but he came to my husband, Zachariah, while he was in the temple at the altar of incense, and Gabriel showed up. Yeah, he showed up to me just a few days ago. It's starting to come together. There was a troubled reaction. Yeah, my, my husband was very troubled, and Mary says, so was I. But Gabriel responded to me and said, fear not, Mary. You are favored of God. And, 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 and Elizabeth says, yeah, he, he said the same thing to Zechariah. Fear not. Oh, my. It's all fitting together. Promises were made. The promise of a son. Gabriel said, I will have a son, and, and, and he will be the Savior and the Messiah. And Elizabeth said, that was the same pr- promise was given to Zechariah, that I would have the son, the forerunner. The one who would come before the Lord. And, and then there was also another part of the promise. He, 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 the angel said that my son would be great. Me too. Me too. He said that my son would be great. And all of this is fitting together in the consolation. And she's feeling this great comfort and connection with the only two people who would believe her. There were objections. Zachariah didn't believe. Mary believed, but she didn't understand. How, how will this happen? I'm a virgin. How? And then finally, one last piece. Gabriel answers, includes a sign. What's the sign to Zechariah? He can't speak and he can't hear. He can't do a thing. He has to write on tablets when he goes home. Can't say a word. He didn't believe. What's the sign for Mary? The angel says, go see your cousin. She's pregnant. And the only way that she got pregnant was because the Lord supernaturally intervened. See the beautiful picture? See the consolation? It's always nice to get with those who have similar stories. It really is. They help us walk through the difficulties of life. This was beautiful. Let's go to Luke now, 1, 42 and 43. Ready? In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But notice this. I, I, I thought this was important to pull out. So, so she, she talks about the blessing. She talks about the blessing for, for Mary and for the child. Listen, think about all of the Israelite women for centuries centuries, hoping and praying. They knew the Savior was coming. Could it be me? Could it be me? It could only be one, and that one was Mary. Blessed are you. Not above women, but blessed are you among women. Right? Remember last week how we preached it. We were very careful in preaching it. You'll hear the term, Mary, the mother of God. God has no mother. God has no mother. Mary, theologically, to be accurate with Mary, Mary is the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity, but nobody is God's mother. But blessed is she. She is certainly blessed. Sometimes the Protestants have a tendency to minimize the role that Mary's played. We ought not to do that. But we don't want to over-exaggerate and exalt her to a position that she ought not to hold. Remember, Mary doesn't hear your prayers. Jesus does. That's all. We want to be careful. But she's blessed. Not above, among. She's blessed among women. Okay? But here, I want you to see this. Parents, I want you to, I want you to get this. Don't miss this. And we often say that the, the, the apple or the acorn or whatever you use doesn't fall far from the tree. Like father, like son, like mother, like daughter, right? right? Watch this. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord comes to me? About 30 years later, the son that's in her womb says almost the exact same thing. Watch this. Matthew 3.14, John tried to deter Jesus from coming to him while he was baptizing in the river. And what does John say? I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? He almost repeats word for word what his mother says. Why? Why? Look how well John was trained by his parents. Parents, you play a vital role. What you do right now in the lives of your children echoes in eternity. I'm going to show you it even more deeply with the parents of Mary. So that's an, I, I just pulled that out just, just to see the connection. It's so powerful. John almost quotes his mother. Verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed. Notice that blessing is always tied to what? Belief. Don't miss that. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Believing, though, didn't keep her from searching out confirmation, and it didn't keep her from searching out consolation, nor should that happen to us. We believe, 
but we seek confirmation. We seek it in godly counsel. We seek it in the word of God. We go to those who have walked the road before us. It's powerful that we understand this truth. So Mary sought confirmation and she got it. The baby leaped in the womb. Elizabeth confirms it by her own pregnancy. Six months, she can see it. And she gets her consolation. Now, finally in our last heading, Mary speaks inspiration. Oh, don't miss this. Some compare this song, and this is a beautiful song, to Miriam's after the triumphant departure out of Egypt. And there are some similarities, to be sure. And Hannah's song after the birth of the prophet Samuel, and there are some similarities. But I want to ask you a question first before we launch into this. And we're going to go a little more slowly when we get to Zechariah's song. We're going to look at three, three covenants, three covenant promises that God makes that are salvific. So we're going to go a little bit slower when we get to that. It's important. But I want to ask you a question. What are the four? What are the four original? I want you to really think through this. This would be a great trivia question for the Christmas special. Mac, I think we might use this one. This would be a great trivia question. What are the, what are the first four original Christmas carols? And you start thinking and you start working and you're humming them in your mind and you're thinking, I'm going to show you the first four and I'm going to show you that all of them come from Luke's gospel. Ready? Don't miss this. And, and, and listen, I don't want to sound like I, I really know a whole lot about all this. I really wasn't into this portion of Scripture years ago. And it's only been through my son, my eldest son, who my singing son. Here we thought that my son would be pitching from the mound at Fenway Park. And instead he's singing for Jesus. Yes, praise Jesus for that. But he has sung three of these four original Christmas carols that in, in the choirs at Stetson, the canticles, they call them, of, of Christmas. And I want you to see them, and we're going to unpack all of them. These are scriptural songs that are not psalms. They, they're Lucan canticles. So we'll see the first one today. Ready? They're best known for their Latin titles, and the Latin title is rooted in the first or the second word in the first line. So when we read the first one, Mary's Magnificat, that comes out of the opening line, my soul magnifies the Lord. The word magnifies, exalted, that's the word magnificat. So we get that title, the great Mary's song, the Magnificat. That's the first one, and we'll look at it today briefly, 46 to 55. Then next week, we'll begin to look at Zechariah's song, the Benedictus. The Benedictus means blessed, Luke 1, 67 to 80. And we're going to spend a couple weeks there. We're going to spend some time on that one, the Benedictus. And then number three, the angel song, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. You remember that? The angels are there hovering. Over the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. The beautiful song of the angels. There's the first three Christmas carols. And the fourth, Simeon's song, Nuke Demitus, which simply means, now you dismiss me. Simeon waited for years and years and prayed my eyes only to see the Savior one time that I might simply gaze upon the Lord. And they bring Jesus to the temple and Simeon sees the child and he says, Nuke Demithis, now dismiss me for I have seen the Savior. What a beautiful scripture. And again, years ago, I wasn't really into that. But I am now. I've listened to those choirs, and I've listened to those. Last night, Brock and I were talking, and he says, Dad, here, just to update on it, here, Google this, and just listen to the first two or three words. He still thinks I'm not really into it. No, I'll listen to the whole thing. So last night, I'm listening to the whole concert, and it's beautiful that, that these, are, these are songs that flowed from the hearts of those who understood who God was. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? 
And we'll unpack all of them as we go. Now on to verse 46. Want to see what Mary does. Want to see what Mary does in her beautiful song, the Magnificat. She's constantly bringing Old Testament scriptures into this. Ready? Mary said, my soul glorifies or magnifies the Lord, depending on your version. 1 Samuel 2, 1, Hannah's prayer. My heart rejoices in the Lord. See the connection? And then Psalm 103, 1. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Mary says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And then she goes on in 47, and my spirit, soul and spirit are interchangeable in the scriptures, speaking of the inner man. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That should eliminate any concern of Mary being the mother of God. She says, finally we get to it in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Her Savior was her son, and her son was her Savior. She's the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful blessing it was for her to have been chosen for that most sacred, sacred position. Blessed among all women, one woman to have that privilege. But she knew. What did she know? She knew that she was a sinner in need of a savior. She knew that she needed to be saved like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She knew that she needed to be saved by grace, not by works. And she held no exalted position in the kingdom of God. And she says that. She's a slave, a bondservant of the Most High. Isaiah 61.10, I delight greatly in my Lord. My soul rejoices in God. Verse 48 For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, bond slave. We've unpacked that already. We'll close with it. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Psalm 138, 6. The Lord is exalted and he looks kindly on the lowly. 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Let me pause and ask you a question. What has the mighty one done for you? What are the great things that God has? You ever spend any time really considering that? Thinking about what God has done for you. This is a powerful verse to pause on. Mary knew what God had done. Not just then with with this, this pregnancy, but she knew from the beginning for 13 years what God had done in preparing her for this moment. What great things God has done. We ought to be mindful like Mary to remember the great things God. It strengthens our faith especially in times of difficulty. Psalm 71, 19, your righteousness, God reaches to the heavens, you who have done great things. Who is like you, God? His mercy, not merit. His mercy extends to those who fear reverence, reverential awe, those who fear him from generation to generation. Psalm 103, 40, uh, 17, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and with their children's children. Now, I want you to pause for a moment. Mary spoke about herself, and she spoke in the present tense, all of these things that have gone on and what God has done. Now she's going to speak about her Savior, her Savior who is in her womb. But she's now going to speak in the past tense as if it is already done. Let me make this perfectly clear that prophets who saw so clearly the promises of God, they spoke as if they were already accomplished. That is how we are to live our lives on the promises of God as if they have already been fulfilled, every last one of them. Why? What God promised, he will ultimately fulfill. Not one promise will be left unkept. So now notice the language and the tense change when she speaks of Jesus. 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Wow. It's an accomplished fact in the mind of Mary because she knows her God. Psalm 98.1, sing to the Lord a new song. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Past tense. 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. Past tense, 
1 Samuel 2, 4 and 8, the bows of the warriors are broken, and he raises the poor from the dust. 53, past tense again. And notice the echo that you're going to hear now that's forward. The echo that's forward from the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to these words. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Don't we hear Jesus? Blessed are the those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Filled. He has filled the hungry with good, what good things? Righteousness, holiness, and a love for God. That's the gospel. And 1 Samuel 2, 5, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. What do you hunger for? What are you thirsting for? Imagine the picture of the deer panting for streams of, of water. Does your soul pant for God like that? These are pictures that are to instruct us, whether we're students or senior adults and all points in between. These are pictures that Mary was living this. Mary didn't go off into Elizabeth's home looking for a concordance. I couldn't find that in the passage. I couldn't find where she Googled anywhere in the passage to try to come up with some Old Testament texts. Where did the Old Testament texts come from for Mary? Out of the abundance of her heart, her mouth spoke. Pause. She's 13. Let me ask you a question. What do we know of parents, especially parents of children? Listen to me. What do we know of Mary's mother and father? This is what we know. For 13 years, they rooted their little girl in the Old Testament scriptures. Oh, parents, don't forget the message from Mary's mother and father. They kept her in the word of God, and when she needed that word most, it simply poured out of her heart. She was in the word of God, and the word of God was in her. And she opened her mouth, and it flowed. May that be the confession of all of our lives as parents for our children. 50, 54 and 55, he helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Notice here, she understands covenant theology. To Abraham and his descendants, who's Mary? A descendant of Abraham. She not only knows the word of God, she understands covenant theology. Wait till we get to Zechariah's song, the Benedictus, and we look at the three salvific covenant promises to Abraham, to David, and the new covenant to Jeremiah, all rooted in the eternal counsel of God's grace. Wait till we see that. We'll go a little more slowly when we get to Zechariah's song. But here, Mary speaks the Old Testament. She speaks the scriptures that she's been taught that she simply spent countless hours in. If this were Elizabeth, you'd say she's in her old age. She's learned scripture over the decades. This girl's a kid. And she speaks the word of God. And she speaks the covenant promise to Abraham. Oh, don't miss the close. Ready? Psalm 98.3, here he has remembered his love and faithfulness to Israel. God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. He's not just faithful in the Old Testament promises, he's faithful to you. Every promise that's been made, he's faithful to you. Yes, he who began a good work in you will complete it. Yes, nod your heads, yes. And the sooner the better for some of you, because I know some of you very well. God, yes, yes, let's get that done. Let's get you out of the way. Remember what John the Baptist says? He must increase and I must. Micah 7.20, then we close. You are faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham. Wait till we get to the covenants. I'll never forget Dr. Raymond at seminary saying this. Tommy, when you go out someday and you have your church and you, you preach your Christmas messages, he says you have a tendency to preach that little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, and those are wonderful pictures and wonderful preachings. But don't forget to tell him this. Tell him God kept his promise. We look at organizations that call themselves promise keepers and we try to be promise keepers, you and I, and we try to do the best we can and we don't keep the promises that we make. But God does. 
God is the only promise keeper who has ever been and ever will be and every promise he has ever made. He will bring to fruition. What a beautiful picture. God is faithful. And God is faithful even when we are not. Close. Here we go. Verse 56. Oh, don't miss this. This is the final verse of the passage, and then next week we'll advance. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. We don't know if this simply just works into the way Luke wrote. Did, did Mary really leave a few days before Elizabeth gives birth? We don't know, but it doesn't matter. Uh, there would be a lot of family around her, and maybe Mary just wanted to remove herself from that. But I, there's a deeper point here. Mary returned home. You see how we've highlighted the word? You see that? Mary returned home. When you think about returning home, what, what, what does that do to your heart, right? So especially our college kids. We send them off to college and can't wait for them to come back, right? They come back, they return home. They come back at Christmas. They come back at Easter. They come back in the summer. We just, we praise God they return home. What was Mary returning to? She was returning to a place now that she was going to have to share this story and at the bare minimum probably get divorced, that her husband is going to send her away, or at the worst, she's going to be stoned to death. Because remember, she went to the only two people in the world who would have believed the story. They're not going to believe it. An angel has to come and speak to Joseph. So Mary, listen to this. Listen to the importance of this. Mary understood what she was going back home to, but she didn't care why. She knew who she was, and she knew what God had called her to do. And she simply trusted in God. What a picture of what it means to be a slave. Okay? So notice here. What are the two marks of a slave of the Savior? And we ask ourselves this question, right? We get to the end and we see, okay, how does this apply to us? What do I take from this? Well, there's a couple things you obviously need to take. You take this single story that God gives to us. It's a beautiful story. We see the parallels in the stories. We see the connections in the Old Testament. We see that the Bible is one word to one world. We see all of those things. But then we have to ask the question, what does it mean to me right now? If, if I'm a student in school, what does it mean to me right now my senior year? What does it mean to me So I'm heading off to college? What does it mean to me as an adult? What do I do with this? You know, the last thing you want to have is that's a great message and you go off into your car and you head off and you never give it any more thought. There's something here that we need to glean. And, and, and we apply it to our hearts. There's marks of a slave, and Mary demonstrates what those marks are. We saw it last week. We see it again here, and then we're going to tie it into the second one. What's the first mark? Submission. But I'm going to tell you something about submission. There's only one way to be able to submit like Mary did, and that's the second mark, Scripture. Let me make this perfectly clear. Your level of submission, listen to me very carefully right now. Your level of submission to your Savior right now, right where you are, right in your life today is rooted in your understanding of Scripture. It's that simple. The more deeply we dive into the depths of the truths of the gospel, the more clear they become in our minds and in our hearts. The greater we understand who God truly is, the greater we understand what it means to submit as a slave. We have a tendency to love the word, right? We've used the phrase before. We did it in the patriotic. We asked you to complete this scripture verse from memory. You give me the final word. Well done, good and faithful. Use the word slave. It's doulos. It's not servant. And here's the problem today in the church. I know there's a lot of baggage that comes with the word slave, but that baggage doesn't come when it comes through the word of God. Think about what it means to be a slave of God. You're a slave to something. Every single one of us are slaves. You're either a slave to yourself or a slave to your Savior. It's that simple. There's no option. I'm a free man. No one's free. That's ridiculous. You're a slave. You're a slave to something. And when we understand what Mary understands, and she understands, she understands who God is and, and, the, and the place that he holds in her heart, she submits completely knowing what she's going to go back to when she goes home. Now she's going to finally have to tell the story, I'm pregnant. And God did it all by himself, either divorced or stoned. But it's rooted in her understanding of Scripture, and our submission will always and only be rooted in the depths of our understanding of the Word of God.
So how well do we know that word? It's all I have for you when you come here. The word. And scripture interprets scripture. And the more that we dive into the word of God, the more God gives us understanding of that word. And the greater becomes our submission. Now God isn't going to call any of us to a virgin birth. But he's calling all of us to something. Right now. Right where this finds you. Are we willing to answer the call? God is also inviting you, and possibly you by way of the internet who are watching this right now. He's inviting you. He's inviting you to a relationship with him. The Lord Jesus Christ says, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I alone will give you rest. That's an invitation to eternal life by transferring your trust from yourself to your Savior. We receive invitations to all sorts of things, don't we? Here's one, to an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does he say, come? Come as you are. Come dirty. Come messed up. Come marred by sin and stain and blemish. But come. Come and all who come thirsty will drink freely of the waters of life. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the glory of the child, Jesus. That is the truth that Mary knew. If you know that truth today and you transfer your trust to Christ... Eternal life is yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truths of the gospel. We thank you that this single word points in a single direction. That all scripture points to the Lord Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Father, if there's anyone right now, anyone by way of the internet, who has never surrendered control to Christ, never submitted to his authority. Oh, God, make this a word of salvation. Raise them from death to life. Give the gift of repentance and faith. And then give them the confident assurance of this truth. He who began a good work will one day complete it. And Father, for all those who have been in Christ, many for decade after decade, May this sermon strengthen us in our faith, grow us up into Christ, and send us out from this place as ministers of the gospel, doing as John did in the womb, leaping for joy and pointing to the Savior. May this be the confession of our lives, and we ask this in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. Please stand and join us in worship.
Thank you, praise team. What a powerful name. Gabriel.